Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I would like to remind you of Article 1, Chapter 1 of the UN Charter. What is the purpose of our organization? Its purpose is to maintain peace and uh, make sure that uh, peace is adhered to. And now the UN Charter is violated literally, starting with Article 1. And if so, what is the point of all other articles? President Zelensky of Ukraine addressing the U.N. Security Council. He went on to accuse Russia of acting no different from other terrorists, and yet he points out that this country is on the U.N. Security Council. They are still a U.N. Security Council member with veto power. They inflame wars and deliberately lead them in such a way to kill as many regular civilians and cities. More or less, what Vladimir Zelensky is doing is saying, what is the point of this organization? And what's with all the claptrap about peace and war crimes and crap if you're just going to let this continue and stand on the sidelines? Which is a decent question. It's uh, The U.N. exists so the upper, upper crust can get together, congratulate each other, go to cocktail parties, eat fancy steak dinners in Manhattan, and and, 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 and not get parking tickets because they have diplomatic immunity. And discuss how they'd like the world to be, how they right. wish the world was. Um, You know, you get into the reality of, well, if NATO gets involved, you're at war with Russia, World War III, et cetera, et cetera, and I fully get all that stuff. But you could you could certainly understand Zelensky's frustration with the speeches and the condemnation when you're looking at the tortured dead bodies of men, women, and children in your country and saying, your speeches aren't freaking doing anything. Right. Right. And once again, I'm looking at that picture of what Zelensky looked like when this started and what he looks like now, and it reminds me of similar pictures of Abe Lincoln for the very same reason. Yeah. Sorry, my phone is ringing. Please silence your devices. Uh, yeah, unbearable stress and, and, and pain and heartache. And uh, you know, I hope he bears up reasonably well. Like I've said many times, I have no idea what this looks like two weeks from now. Is Russia just pounding the bejesus out of the southern and eastern parts of the country still? Are they still committing atrocities? Are they just trying to depopulate those areas so they can move Russians into them? It's a time-honored uh, tradition of, of brutal all-out warfare. You depopulate and move your own people in. Alexander the Great, you know, you name him. You name the the great military conquerors. Same technique. Right. It's awful. Yeah, it is awful. You know, I was just reading about uh, the the energy situation in Europe and how bad it is, how dependent they are on Russia. And I kind of knew it, but according to Melissa Eddy of the uh, New York Times, who is based in Berlin, covers German politics, business, and culture, has for a number of years. Last year, Russia supplied more than half of the natural gas and about a third of the oil that Germany burned to heat homes, power factories, and fuel cars, buses, and trucks. So homes, factories, cars, buses, and trucks, more than half of the natural gas and a third of the oil. Roughly half of Germany's coal imports, which run its steel manufacturing sector, come from Russia. About half. Uh, first natural gas pipeline connecting what was then West Germany to sub- Siberia was actually completed in the early 80s. The legacy of the Cold War can still be seen in the energy infrastructure in Germany's east, which remains directly linked to Russia, making it harder to get oil from other providers into that part of the country. Well, that's an oversight. Um, so that's a big political issue in Germany right now, as there's growing public pressure 
to quit sending money to Russia. So the political argument is between the crowd that is saying, look, we can't just cut off our dependence on Russia immediately. It will collapse our economy. And then you have the other side, which may now be the majority opinion that we don't care. We'll 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 stand in line for gas. We'll suffer the high prices. We can't be sending money to these butchers because they're seeing the same pictures and videos we are. And they're just a couple of hundred miles away. Right, right. Uh, yeah, how much they can do in the next several months before the winter time sets in again? Because there are parts of Germany that are quite wintry and or at high elevation, and if you get that much natural natural gas from Russia, that's got to mean people like that don't live in the Alps don't get any natural gas. And and what you buy a a pellet stove at the Home Depot or what? Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia have in recent days become the first European countries to completely halt Russian gas gas imports. Russia accounted for nearly all of Lithuanian gas imports in 2015, a quarter in 21, and now have cut it off completely. And listen to this quote from the Lithuanian president. Years ago, my country made decisions that today allow us with no pain to break energy ties with the aggressor. If we can do it, the rest of Europe can do it too. Well, the other countries didn't make that wise, foresighted decision to not have to be with an aggressor. They saw what was happening in Syria. German politicians saw what was going on in Syria and thought, eh, I don't care if Russia's our neighbor. We're still going to build a pipeline so that we're completely dependent on them for energy. What a stupid, stupid decision. You know, and it was born of that rosy-eyed optimism uh, post, uh, you know, Cold War, where everybody, in fact, if anybody dared suggest that caution was advised, I remember this so vividly, a fellow by the name of Matt Fong, I'm pretty sure that's that's his name, and I apologize if I'm getting it wrong, was running against uh, Dianne Feinstein for Senator of California, and he was talking about the need for a strong defense and the rest of the thing, and she lectured him bitterly and mocked him. For, hey, Earth to Matt Fong, the Cold War is over. There's a peace dividend. We need to spend that. And the ability to do things before you absolutely have to, that's real leadership. And it's it's rare. And that has something to do with democracies. Voters don't want to endure pain until the moment that it becomes so inescapably clear that they have to, they go along with it. So the different countries with different needs over there are going to, try to get off uh, Russian energy as fast as they can, and the public is really going to be pushing that. Ian Bremer tweeted out a few hours ago, within three years, there'll be no Russian energy delivery to Europe, and it will be permanent. I'm sorry, within how many years? Within three years, there'll be zero Russian energy to Europe, and it will be permanent. That's a major change in the structure of energy in the world. Yeah, yeah. Then how does that play out for Russia and Putin? I was just doing some more reading about the nature of sanctions and and economic deprivation and stuff that generally strengthens dictators because they make the case that it's the outsiders that are hurting us and and they consolidate their own power and they and their their inner circle they continue to to be rich and and the poor poor people um, they endure the pain. It's just it's the one of the ugly realities of, of politics. Ah. I don't like politics. Can I get into botany instead? Botany! You know, plants and flowers and stuff like that. I enjoy planting stuff. Bushes. Bushes and shrubs. That sort of thing. I saw the most annoying hot chick social media story I've ever seen. 
Wow, that's saying something. And that is saying something. Plus a brand new feature ad on the show, because the Golden State, which is what, like a sixth of the population of America, is beclowning itself more effectively than anyone ever could. Uh, the, the, a new feature called uh, Clownifornia is coming you, up. You hate to be beclowned. That is all next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. They go to Love. Love's going to be the one to take it. Puts up the shot. It's off. The game is over. And Kansas completes the biggest championship comeback. Yeah. (laughs) He tuned into the game at halftime with Kansas down 15. And Charles Barkley saying nobody's ever come back from this far. And I don't know. I'll give it a minute. I'll give it a minute in the second half. If it looks interesting, I'll stick with it, but I'm probably out. And they just came out like gangbusters. And and like you are saying the other day, North Carolina plays like five guys. They all ran out of gas. One guy collapsed on the floor vomiting toward the end of the uh, the, the second half. He, just, he was just done. I mean, do we have anybody else that can play for even a minute? Because I've been running this whole game. I know, and I know Coach, uh, what's his face, Hubert something or other, who seems like a terrific guy. I know he knows the game better than me. He knows his players better than me. But you can't have five or six guys play every minute of every game in a tournament like this. That was something. Yeah, it was. It was. They were getting whooped at halftime, but Kansas was. But anyway, uh, so what to do when a wonderful place, an incredible place, scenic, one of the most exciting and dynamic places on earth, the great state of California, becomes an S show. What do you, what do, you do about that? What the hell is going on? <laughs> not, not out of dislike or hatred, but out of love. I'm reminded of the Armstrong and Getty t-shirt, Castigat Redendo Mores. Mockery teaches manners. It brings the truth to light. Hence... The brand new Armstrong and Getty feature, Clownifornia. The West Coast. Welcome to Clownifornia, where L.A. Superior Court Judge Terry Green just talked out California's corporate diversity law that required publicly held corporations include racial minorities and members of the LGBTQ community on their executive boards. The judge said this is con- unconstitutional. In fact, it's so clearly, obviously unconstitutional, there isn't any need for a trial. So what's the, uh, what's the, I think it's awful and would be awful and unworkable in reality, but what's the constitutional principle? That you can't have a state demand that a corporation oh, employ right. certain people. Right. You can't make me as a private company say i got to have this many of this color, gender people. Okay, yeah, I get it. But right. it was completely unworkable anyway. It's just in practice it would have never been possible. Well, well, right, and and this is why it's clownifornia, because this stuff is so clownishly idiotic, you can't believe a grown-up would think about it. But if I'm sitting on the board of uh, California Amalgamated, uh, whatever, I like gin, California Amalgamated Gin. Sounds right? delicious. I cannot be on that board, because they don't have a gay guy. But if I start having sex with guys, I can be on that board. Or claim I am. Or claim I am. Right. Just utterly clownish. Then this story. Clownifornia. Come on now. Or if you, just to take that last one, you know, or if you got 
a great-grandmother or so you're told who was black, you'd be black enough to qualify for one of the positions? That's a good point, yeah. Yeah. So uh, moving along, we, you know what, Michael? We got to make it so the clowning, the clown music can continue in the background. I think that would be appropriate. Uh, but anyway, San Rafael, California, there's a couple of uh, homeless people who are suing the city of San Rafael because the homeless camp that they demanded be set up isn't good enough for them. They don't like it. It's too noisy. Uh, and so they're suing for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, my that the God. The homeless bum camp. Oh, my God. Is, uh, is not I, good enough. I don't like this homeless bum camp. You need to make it nicer. I demand it yes. be nicer. I have rights, you know. Right. And they're suing hundreds of thousands of dollars, which will cost the city tens of thousands at the very least to fight unless they just Oh, settle. my God. Meanwhile, in Clownifornia, across the Bay Bridge into the great city of San Francisco, a group of mothers has paid for a billboard that reads, Famous the world over for our brains, our beauty, and now dirt cheap fentanyl. Close the open air drug markets. I'm reminded of the fact that fentanyl killed way more people than gun uh, violence last year. And COVID. Right, that's right, in COVID, but there's no age over that, evidently. There's no desire to close the border, etc. So now you have mothers taking out billboards, begging the authorities to shut down. And I know what you're thinking in Omaha. I know what you're thinking in Indianapolis and, and all over the country in Phoenix. Wait a minute. They have like, oh, picture this, a craft fair. You got one guy who paints pictures of uh, owls on uh, on, on trees. <laughs> You got somebody who crafts those welcome to the Jones house signs, whatever. You got some jewelry makers. You got a gal who who does flowing dresses, except picture fentanyl and crack and coke and whatever. Yeah. Open air drug markets in San Francisco. What the hell is going on? And people drop it. I know, Gavi. And people dropping like flies from overdoses. Yeah. In San Francisco, way more people died of fentanyl ODs than COVID. The tour of California co- the point, rolls the, on is the point being they didn't shut the city down for fentanyl deaths and aren't going no. to, but did shut the no, city down not. for COVID. Jack, they're not even shoot, shutting down the freaking drug dealers. <laughs> Never mind the city. Palm Springs, California. Their woke council has voted on a pilot scheme to pay twenty transgender residents up to nine hundred dollars a month in a universal basic income tax test. So, universal basic income if you're trans, but even the city's trans mayor admits that the administration to set up the program is going to cost way more than the money that they give out to anybody. Oh, boy. And that's taxpayer money, folks. Unfreaking believable. It's just, well, it's clownish. I guess my favorite story is probably the the judge who said to the governor, he said to the assembly, he said to the Senate, you're not serious with this crap, are you? You're telling you're telling you establishing quotas for corporate boards. Get this crap out of here. I don't have time for this. Yeah. Well, good. I was afraid that that was going to a lot of businesses were afraid that was going to stick. A lot of businesses had threatened to leave the state if it stuck. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least uh, Judge Green um, is uh, is sane and 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 made the ruling he did. Uh, Wall Street Journal editorial board said State Judge Terry Green didn't explain his reasoning for enjoining the parties, perhaps because it so clearly violates equal protection. 
uh, etc. And then they hope that that'll be applied to uh, universities as well that do similar things, just through different means. So anyway, welcome to Clownifornia. Tiger Woods has announced after this morning's practice round he is going to play in the Masters. And according to <gasps> golf legend Fred Couples, he's the favorite. So Tiger Woods, the man to beat. Hey, it's, uh, it's Tiger. Uh, golf legend Fred Couples is stoned, evidently, or drunk on Mai Tais or something. Tiger's the favorite. How do you figure that, Freddie? That's ridiculous. That's <laughs> one of the silliest things I've ever heard. <laughs> All right. Well, the guy hasn't played competitively, seriously, for months and months. He's hobbling around on more hardware than you find in a Home Depot. And he's he's walking a, a golf course that's so hilly, it's like a ski resort. Tiger said, I'll only compete if I feel like I can still compete at the highest level. And you're going to see me out there. So he must feel like he can be the... If he's in the running on Sunday, I will tune in. If he is not, I will not see a second of it. So I'm like a lot of fans across America. See, he, he brings in the eyeballs. Uh, if you cared, I would bet you 20 bucks that he won't even make the cut. He won't even play on the weekend. Mm. But we'll see. He's uh, surprised me and others before. He is an amazingly tenacious uh, competitor. Just hope he's not on the road with you when you're out, uh, you know, running to the grocery store. No, no, I'm driving. I'm driving. If me and Tiger are going, I sure hope he doesn't, you know, sideswipe me with a head full of Ambien and send me into the trees. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. The feel-good comeback story for the serial... Hopped up driving Tiger Woods. Fantastic. If you miss an hour of the show, get the podcast. Armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I am so embarrassed right now. I just picked up my car from the dealership because when I was braking, it was making these like clunking and clicking noises. So I told the guy about it and I brought it in. And after two hours, he calls me and he's like, ma'am, your alignment's good. Your brakes are good. But we did an inspection and we noticed there was a jar of olives under the passenger seat. So we strapped them in. And your car's not making noises anymore. I just paid a hundred dollars for that. I am so embarrassed right now. A jar of olives. <laughs> Who rolls with a jar of olives in their car? Uh, you never uh, know when you're going to want to pop an olive in your mouth. <laughs> it's a delicious snack while driving. Wow, that's funny. That sounds a little like my daughter. <laughs> How about a feel-good story? Well, kind of. An inspirational story before I get into some other things. A lot of horror out of Ukraine today. The horror's been going on for a long time. It's just being revealed by their president and others. But anyway, came across this yesterday. Lev Yuliasov, a 21-year-old model from Brovery, Ukraine. After Putin's invasion, he swapped the international fashion runways. He was an internationally known model on the stages all around the world seen here in Paris in this picture, then joined the Ukrainian army as a medic, saving the lives of other soldiers on the front lines. My plan is to win this war, he says. Wow, there you go. Yeah, that's something. I hope those polls are wrong that came out a week or so ago about how only 38% of our young people would defend the United States in a similar situation. I hope those polls are wrong and that when the rubber met the road, they would feel some... Allegiance to their family, their friends, their community, and be willing they'd to fight understand, for them. They'd understand what a real threat is, and they would respond to it as human beings have through time. A lot of 
people, and and you know certainly the World War II generation would say this of our generation. You people live in a theoretical universe when you talk about uh, danger and war and threats and and that sort of thing. Um, if you actually faced one, you'd probably think differently. I hope that's true. Uh, COVID. So we're not the only country whose media went hog wild in one direction, and we a lot of times blamed it on Trump. You're just so anti-Trump, you refuse to do anything that might fit in with his worldview. It happened around the world. Germany has got a big report that came out. What is it called? The, the German Ethics Council, sharply criticizing the uncritical reporting of the mass media during the pandemic in a new 161-page report. I didn't read the whole thing. I read some of the highlights that include this. As the pandemic progressed, even obvious undesirable developments were hardly addressed with the necessary clarity by a journalism that saw itself as constructive or sensitive to the common good. Uh, getting into the they didn't they didn't spend any time on the obvious problems of having businesses shut down or schools shut down or little kids wearing masks or a lot of the undesirable outcomes that we were getting. The media had no interest in those stories. Uh, deep into the pandemic, and uh, so they're calling out the media for that. So, something yeah, to watch. Good. Something to watch for the next time we end up in a crisis. I guess speaking of COVID in China, where they're getting hammered with the new Omicron variant because it spreads so easily, and they don't have it, one a vaccine that works, and hardly anybody's gotten the vaccine. So, one of their biggest cities, Shanghai, which is twenty-six million people, which is crazy. After about 9,000 new COVID-19 cases were reported in Shanghai on Monday, Chinese officials extended the city's lockdown, and when they say lockdown, they mean lockdown, extended it indefinitely so thousands of healthcare workers could run mandatory COVID-19 testing on uh, the residents. It's enforcing a strict zero-COVID stance. The Chinese Communist Party has begun separating children who test positive from their parents. And Shanghai residents are dealing with food and supply shortages due to the extended lockdown. Taking oh, your yeah, there's kids away from outrage over this outrage. They're pic- they're posting pictures on Chinese media of three kids to a crib in these child detention slash COVID centers. Yeah, and the parents can't visit the kids or anything. It's just absolutely crazy. And in the hands of the benevolent Chinese authorities, so you know they're being taken care of well, and uh, you know. All the, all the things you care about your kid are being dealt with. Wow. Well, that's what the parents are saying, that a lot of these healthcare professionals, they're not trained as caregivers at all. And these are like one-year-olds. Oh, man, that's brutal. Yeah, I know. It's insane. If you want that kind of world, keep wearing Nikes and watching the NBA, huh? What now? We have an update on the uh, trans swimmer, Leah Thomas, that I think you'll find interesting after this. All right, a quick word from our friends at Simply Safe Home Security, named the best home security system you can buy by U.S. News, PC Magazine, and Popular Science, all three. It's because Simply Safe is a comprehensive set of sensors and cameras, including the all new wireless outdoor security camera, so you always know what's going on inside and outside your home. Generally, when you're going to get the best of something, you expect it to be close to the most expensive. That is certainly not the case with Simply Safe, even though we explained to you how a lot of people call them the best. Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day. You set it up yourself in about 30 minutes, and there's no contract. You're not locked in for two years like you are on other security systems that you hardly ever use or don't trust. Simply Safe is awesome. 
Backed by the best 24-7 professional monitoring in the business, ready to dispatch the help you need the second you need it. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Go today, claim a free indoor security camera, plus 20% off with the interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong, simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So it has been confirmed. This story's been bouncing around for a while, but I was eh, I thought, is this too good to be, you know, whatever. Uh, it is true. So in one of the races in the national championships, the woman that tied Leah Thomas for fifth wasn't allowed to go up there and get her stand up there the way that Leah Thomas was for all kinds of weird reasons. Let me just read you the story. Riley Gaines is a Kentucky swimmer who tied transgender swimmer Leah Thomas for fifth in the women's 200 meter last month, but still still does not have a trophy. Uh, keeping in mind that a lot of people in the know think Leah Thomas was sandbagging it after she won that first race easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, as to why she was sandbagging it and holding back, we can talk about that in a second. But So uh, Gaines has gone to her uh, local authorities, including her own senator, and recounted what happened when she tied Thomas in the race recently. I touched the wall and saw that there was a five by my name indicating that I got fifth. But the first thing I really looked at was who won, because I was so curious about who would win the race. Because the night before, Leah won by the the 500 meters so easily that I was interested in who won. I looked up and saw a number five by Leah's name. And so in that moment, I realized we tied. It was a flood of emotions, really. I was extremely happy for the girls above me who conquered what was seemingly impossible by beating Leah. And it was kind of an array of emotions. I was shocked, really. So here she is in the pool thinking... How did all these other girls beat Leah? So there she is. She was expecting Leah Thomas to win. So that's one angle of the story. Um, does she have her trophy yet, her fifth place trophy yet? No, I do not. That's another crazy thing. Once I got out of the, out of the water, we kind of go behind the podium to the awards ceremony where they distribute the trophies. So I walked back there, and the NCAA official came up to me and said, hey, we only have one fifth place tro- trophy, which I understand, and that makes sense. You wouldn't have multiples of everything. But he said, we're going to have to give that trophy to Leah. Yours will be coming in the mail. Great job, though. I was kind of taken aback. (laughs) I don't think he necessarily expected me to really question it, but I was like, okay, I understand, but can I ask why you're choosing to give the the one trophy to Leah? This was not a sufficient answer. Uh, Uh, So I was thinking... Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry, I skipped one part. So they they said, well, we're just doing it in chronological order. To which, Wait a minute. <laughs> to which she responded, so I was thinking, chronological order, we just tied. I don't really know what we're being chronological about. So can you explain? He kind of just looked at me and said, we have to give the trophy to Leah, but we respect and admire you so much. So at this point, he basically just admitted to me that the NCAA was trying to save face. I don't think they handled this properly, but I don't think they'd prepared to, to handle this kind of situation. They were faced with something they were unsure of what to do with. But so they just were doing it in chronological order. What are we being chronological about again? Like arrival to the building today or age so, or what? What are you talking so about? So not only does the ridiculous NCAA not have the testicles that they may have been born with or not i'm not sure um not only have the testicles to deal with this issue the way like 90 percent of americans think you ought to even mm-hmm. when there's one trophy to split between two people they give it to the transgender girl because even that uh, we can't rile up the transgender community what if we gave it to this girl instead and made her wait for hers in the mail oh my god what would happen to us unbelievable 
Well, right. She said so the NCAA could save face. I'll step in as a professional commentator and say that's not it exactly. It's because they were afraid of the activists. Yeah. They were afraid that it would be portrayed in a way that would bring heat upon them. Heat from a tiny percentage of the population, though, that the rest of us think are crazy. Uh, those who would have men compete against women just by calling themselves a woman. Oh, to that end, by the way, got this article. Father of one of the female swimmers on University of Pennsylvania's swim team uh, said anonymously, he said, Penn has failed to protect my daughter and her teammates, excuse me, and violated my trust. This was because in addition to forcing his daughter to compete against a male choosing to identify as a woman, his daughter was also forced to share the same locker room as Leah Thomas and to be exposed to Thomas's male genitalia. So that answers that question that I had. Gotta admit, I'd be pretty unhappy if my 20-year-old college daughter was seeing Wang in the locker room. I'd be pretty unhappy about that. Well, and this guy's very sane, and I respect him. He says, listen, I'm not going to say she's traumatized by it, but there was definitely a breach of trust and a failure on the part of Penn to protect her and the other girls. They told us they were going to do one thing, give Leah a separate space, but then evidently, whether Leah herself or the transgender super activist class said, no, 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 no separate but equal. She's got to be in with the rest of the women, most of whom perhaps... Don't have penises and testicles. Sure. There she was in the locker room. Sure, I'm sure they either made the argument or they were worried they were going to make the argument. You're treating her like a second-class citizen by making her change in a separate area. Right. You you take this clear to the uh, the nth degree. And then the whole sandbagging thing. So the other swimmers think she was holding back just because it would be... You don't want to push it too far. Like, what if I won all five races and I was a five-time national champion? Then it's going to, it's going to explode as a story. So I won one national championship and then hung back on the other races. Well, the way Is I laid it? it out the other day, I stand by 100%. It's absurd to have a biological male of the skill of that of uh, uh, Thomas before Leah was a woman. They tap dancing here. I've never been a good tap dancer. That was pretty effective. Uh, but anyway, to have a man, a biological male, compete against the woman and just crush them in one race illustrates the absurdity of it. But there's a little plausible deniability there. There's a little plausible. No, it's not as obvious as you say it is, Joe Getty. But to have Leah crush the women in race after race after race would make it too obvious for Americans who are only half paying attention or aren't paying attention, haven't seen the British military study that showed that no matter how many hormone treatments you give a biological male for how many years, they will always retain a physical advantage. Uh, the Americans who haven't seen this stuff play out in real life, it, it would alert everybody to the absurdity and the unfairness and the cruelty of all of this. And so whether uh, Leah Thomas or or supporters decided best to soft pedal this a little bit. That's obviously what happened, which which illustrates better than anything the the horrible absurdity of it. You've got to sandbag it, otherwise people will understand how utterly unfair this is. What does that tell you? It's like if I'm competing against seven year olds in a golf tournament. And I think, holy cow, I'm like 15 strokes ahead. I got, I got to string together a few bogeys. What would that say, folks, about my involvement in that golf tournament? But how about the fact that they're so scared? 
when it came down to one trophy for two people, their answer was, well, we'll send you years in the mail. We'll give Lee the trophy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 always a girl, girl. Get the hell out of here. Just shut up. We're doing it in chronological order. What are we being chronological about here? <laughs> That's hilarious. They literally time us. That's the point <laughs> of the sport. Uh, more on the way. Stay here. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It is a war coming. Ukraine's leader is leveling a more serious accusation, but President Biden isn't ready to go there. Up to Allah. No, I think it is a war crime. Here's the difference, according to the administration. We have not yet seen a level of systematic uh, deprivation of life uh, of the Ukrainian people to rise to the level of genocide. How do you feel about slicing those words down to their meanings? Deprivation of life? Is that what he said? When uh, when Zelensky said it was a genocide against Ukrainians, I thought, I don't know what the definition of genocide is. and I'm not sure how much it matters. There's probably legal reasons he's trying to make that argument. I don't know. I, I, I get that. that. That smacks of U.N. resolutions and debates and paperwork right. and, and the rest of it. You're, suppose, you're torturing and killing civilians by the hundreds and hundreds intentionally. Well, from I don't Z- care what you call it. From Zelensky's standpoint, it might be of if you can get people to agree it's a genocide, then the U.N. has to do certain things. Maybe. I don't know. Um, sounds reasonable. Uh, but, yeah, when they're going door to door, killing the men and raping the women, uh, torturing them first sometimes, um, I don't know name it whatever you want to name it the world should try to figure out a freaking way to end it but i understand the realities of that and to that point the latest polling on americans attitudes of how tough we should be on this now uh open the show with the latest uh political feelings in germany for instance are running way toward we need to do more we need to do more we need to give them more we need to we're willing to suffer higher prices for energy to cut off money to Russia. Why are we still giving money to Russia? That seems to be the, a lot of the attitude in Europe, even more so in the United States, and it's pretty strong in the United States. How, how Americans view President Joe Biden's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Not tough enough, uh, the biggest number for all U.S. adults, at 56%. About right, 36%. So a 20-point win, no, win's the wrong word, a 20-point th- a th- a larger number for we're not being tough enough. Biden is not being tough enough on Russia. 56 to 36. That's pretty strong. Now you break it down by parties. For Democrats, it's about right 53%, 43% not tough, tough enough. But for Republicans, 68% not tough enough. For independents which is the key to getting reelected by anyone, 64% not tough enough. for So your Republicans and independents are both at about two-thirds. We're not being tough enough. Well, and I'd argue the number of Democrats that agree with them is pretty damn substantial. Yeah, 43%. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Wow, but what to do? What to do and how? That's the frustration. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do not know. I wish there were some sort of... Uh, Artificial intelligence simulator you could run through 
to see what the result would be if 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 NATO got involved or whatever. The the fact that I hope I don't ever in my lifetime ever hear the phrase never again. I never again want to hear the phrase never again, which came out of the Holocaust. It is clearly a lie. It is clearly not reality with what has happened in whether it's Rwanda or Syria or what's happening in Ukraine today. The world will decide what's in its best interest and allow really horrible things to happen if that seems to be the best idea. Uh, One more horrifying note, if you can take it. Uh, The Russian reasoning is out now. Russian language documents have been translated. I have them. I was going to share some of them with us uh, next hour, with you next hour. If you don't get next hour, grab it via podcast later at armstrongandgetty.com. But they are describing... Uh, the denazification of Ukraine and all that that will entail. And it is absolutely a document that justifies uh, all manner of horror that we're witnessing right now. They're not doing it quietly and not admitting to it. They're bragging about it and saying how necessary it is. Yeah, I want to hear that. I don't, I don't quite understand. Maybe I'll understand better after you uh, explain it. But so they think they were killing Nazis as they were going door to door. Well, and if the populace cooperates with the Nazis, no punishment is severe enough. Mm. That sort of reasoning. Okay. Which Russians have used for centuries to do all kinds of horrible things. And other despots as well, yeah. Uh, If you miss an hour, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.